Please stand in body or in spirit for the reading of the gospel. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who is said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made our ancestors to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months, and then she returned home. This is the gospel of grace. Thanks be to God. I find it noteworthy that preceding the birth of Christ are two women's stories. Two women's experiences, women's speech, and women's prophecy. Despite the centuries of men claiming women cannot preach the gospel, the real truth of the matter is that the gospel couldn't even be born without a woman. 
Without the yes of a woman, preachers have nothing to preach, no Messiah to share. Without the yes of a woman, the good news couldn't get out into the world to begin with. Without the yes of a woman's body and the expansive hospitality of her womb, there's not much of a New Testament for men to write. God needed a woman to make the gospel happen. Women are the first to tell of Christ's conception, and women are the first to tell of his resurrection. And without these women and their stories and their consent to God's call, the men have nothing to preach. The original pulpit belonged to a woman, and her name was Mary, her name was Elizabeth, her name was Anna. After all, it was Zachariah, and not a woman, whom the good Lord struck mute. I do not say this to be disparaging of the men. I only say it to set the record straight. My main point here is not about gender. My point is about Jesus and how Jesus is born wherever people are hurting or silenced or oppressed. That regardless of gender or nationality, when God arrives in the world, God situates God's self among the poor, the brokenhearted, the oppressed, and the prisoner. God didn't choose a woman simply because, conveniently, she had a uterus. God chose a woman because as someone undervalued by society, she was a vessel ripe for love. The way God chose to appear in this world, a mere baby dependent on a mother's milk, tells us a lot about what kind of God our God is. We have a God not enamored with power, but a God who willingly gives power away. We have a God who is not impressed by wealth or by title or by prestige. We have a God who shows up amongst ordinary people and calls himself son of man or son of humanity. This is a God who came to be with the people, and he came first through a woman, through a birth canal, through a process the theologians call kenosis, the self-emptying of God to become more like us humans. Interestingly, this crazy, irrational choice to empty God's self of divine power in order to become a baby was a remarkable act that required human partnership. In order to do it, God needed a human vessel, a woman, to carry the God-child, nurse him, cradle him, and change his soiled diapers. None of us, I might point out, would ever willingly choose to return to diapers. We only return to diapers by the necessity of illness or aging. But God chose it of God's own free will as a way of saying to us all, I am with you. I will share all your vulnerabilities, all your fragility, and all your humanness. It was such a crazy scheme. Only God would do something so drastic, so selfless, so creative. Think how much God must love the world, not just to send a messenger on God's behalf, but to become the message of love in the form of a tiny infant baby. How wild, how sincere, how strange, and how loving. Don't you know God must have wondered if this whole baby thing was going to work out? Surely God knew the plan was insane, that he'd probably get himself killed, that babies, while cute, seldom change the world. 
But God's love was so great and God's passion for being with us so strong that God couldn't settle for a halfway effort. God's desire not to dominate or intimidate, but to join with and be among forced God to get creative. God knew riding in on a white horse with a crown atop his head wouldn't send the right message. So instead of the masses or the company of kings, it would be the midwife helping Mary push who would be the first to see God. She'd be looking for a different kind of crowning, listening for the baby's first cry, ready with a towel and basin to wash him off. It would be the ordinary and the miraculous all wrapped in one. God's crazy dreams require human participation. Thank goodness for midwives who can see God coming before anyone else can and call the dream forth. A good biblical word for a midwife is prophet. When approached by God to join in the impossible, Mary, like most prophets, didn't mince with words. How can this be, since I am a virgin, she asked. Like Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah before her, Mary doubted that she was up to the task. Like the prophets before her, she needed assurance. Like the prophets before her, God gave her a sign. Mary's call was unique in that God needed her womb, but she wasn't the only prophet God had approached through the years with strange requests. Ezekiel laid on his left side for 390 days, then on his right for 40. Isaiah walked naked and barefoot for three years. Hosea was told to marry a wife of harlotry. Moses was commanded to throw his staff on the ground so it could turn into a snake. And then, to make it worse, he had to pick the snake back up by the tail so it could turn back into a staff. I'm not making this stuff up. I mean, somebody might have made it up, but that person predated the Bible. In other words, Mary's call is not really so unusual as it is par for the course concerning the biblical prophets. What did make her call unusual was not what she was being asked to do, but what God was going to do alongside her. The other prophets had done strange and silly things to help God make a point. Mary's acts would help God make an entrance. The earlier prophets had often spoke of God, but she would be the first to birth God right into existence among the people. There had never been anything quite like it. I wonder which do you find more impossible? A virgin birth or a God who chose infancy as the way to show up? I always think of God as the caller, not the called, but it is as if God tasks God's self with showing up for the people in a brand new way. In calling Mary, God was also calling upon God's self to become a child. How crazy, how insensible. Maybe the plan would be just mad enough to make a difference and to save our world. Calls are often like that. They seldom make perfect sense, and they cause you to question your sanity. But try as you might to remain grounded in logic and reason. How can this be, for I am a virgin? The holy nudge just will not leave you alone. It haunts you by day and wakes you up at night. It taps you on the shoulder incessantly when you try to focus on other things. 
It calls to you at odd hours and it knocks on your door even though you turned out the lights and are pretending no one's home. The call is never coercive. It's usually not even that persuasive. You only know it's a call because it is persistent or perhaps because your spirit recognizes spirit. Maybe God's call to become human came not from God's own mind, but from the people. I mean, maybe it was the decades and centuries of prayers that called God out into the world in the form of a child. Maybe the whole thing was even more of a partnership than we realize. Maybe God doesn't just call us, maybe we call God. Maybe God models for us how to listen and how to respond. Maybe we model for God how to cry when our needs aren't met. Maybe it is a lifelong dance of deep calling to deep, as the psalmist would say, where God's song is my prayer and my prayer is God's song. Maybe God inspires us and we inspire God. Maybe Mary's story is just the beginning. Maybe there's a midwife or a prophet inside of you just waiting to flourish. Maybe God will keep coming, and maybe you have just the eyes to spot it and help us to see. Maybe the calling is frightening, but maybe God is with you. And maybe, just maybe, nothing is impossible with God. Friends, may God gift you in this new year with big imagination and the faith to believe in your dreams. In a world like this one, it may seem irrational to follow your joy, to think you can make a difference, to give birth to anything new, to think that God speaks to you and inspires you and gives you ideas. In a world like this one, it may seem irrational to hold on to love. But may you never shy away from that wild, irrational, magnanimous love of God. May it follow you everywhere. Rejoice, rejoice. Take heart in the night, the dark, the winter, and cheerless. The rising sun shall crown you with joy, with light. Be strong and loving and fearless. Love be our song and love our prayer and love our endless story. May God fill every day we share and bring us at last into glory. Amen.